Are you seeking to broaden your horizons, to stay relevant and become future fit? Do you want to fuel your creativity and inspire innovation? Or are you simply looking to put the kapow back into your business? Then look no further. Join Carmen Murray, entrepreneur, innovator, and tech fundi with her big personality and presentation style as she interviews celebrities, alchemists, newsmakers, and business experts to discover the stories behind their success. The Carmen Murray Show will open your mind and help you turn knowledge into magic. Let knowledge be your superpower. And now, from Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Carmen Murray. Hey, 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 Future Fit Tribe, welcome to yet another episode of the Carmen Murray Show. And we are super excited today because we are actually going to unpack a very depressing topic in the marketing industry. <laughs> and I have with me my favorite people, and I'm going to introduce them to you shortly. However, I just want to provide context. So, Theodore Levitt, he was the seminal author for marketing myopia and he discovered it um, and he wrote about it in the Harvard Business Review. Now marketing myopia, if you think about people wearing glasses, it's short-sighted and it's people that can't see their actions and what they are doing now has an impact on the future and where the business is going. And this is a very difficult topic to, to unpack. And one of the myopias that I personally have identified in what I do on a day-to-day -day basis is digital myopia. And for that reason, I can just quickly explain to you the short-sightedness that we are seeing. So all of a sudden, everybody claims to be a digital expert. So people hire digital experts, they come in and they really are not practitioners, they don't have all of the experience. Then what happens is they create content debris. They don't understand their customers. By not understanding their customers, we then see a further ripple effect is that customers and audiences start blocking the content from the particular brand, which means there's less and less um, audiences for us to reach out to because the ad block rate in South Africa is one of the highest in the world. It's almost sitting on, on I think it's about 60%. Then we also have the issue that we have one of the lowest um, digital migrations because of people that don't have access to the internet, digital colonialism as we would call it. And then on top of that is that Everybody has different interests and it just makes a massive nightmare for us. With that, I want to introduce you to my friends and colleagues at UJ and the marketing department so that we can unpack this thing and get more context and what's happening in the real world. So on my left, I've got Dr. Beata Stiller Mulder. Ooh, she is um, full of sass. And she is all about strategy, so she's going to take us into brand and marketing. And then we've also got Professor Mournay Roberts-Lombard with us, and he specializes in customer experience and cultural behavior, which is going to um, really add some feel to this um, conversation. And then on top of that, we have Professor Marius Waite with us, and he actually did his thesis on, on sales. So he can also bring a lot to the table as we unpack um, all of the various aspects that is a touch point within marketing. Without further ado, over to you. Beata, how are you? I'm well, thank you. And Carmen, thank you very much for having us today. I was very, very excited when you approached us um, about this topic. I think it is something which is incredibly apt, uh, especially if we look at what is happening at the moment with the likes of uh, Facebook and Google, etc. You know, how long are these massive, massive uh, tech giants going to remain relevant? One is very interested to see what is the meta, the whole idea of the metaverse going to, uh, what it's going to bring and mean for Facebook. So, um, yeah, I think that that to me is already enough um, to say that we need to have this conversation. Totally. Prof, Mornay? Hi, Carmen. Yeah, thanks. Um, I think at the end of the day, the question we need to ask ourselves at this moment is, 
to what extent do we talk around the topic that has a um, multifaceted uh, relevance in, in the changing marketing world? Or to what extent are we talking about a topic that has such a lot of need in terms of unpacking that it should have been done almost a decade ago already? Mm. So I'm excited in terms of where, you know, the conversation we're going to have is putting forward the direction of thinking that we need around, you know, the topics of debate that's coming forth. Yes. And Prof. Marius, um, what, what is your views on, on marketing myopia as the villain in our industry? You know what? It's one of those things that is very relevant. Uh, I think it's current. But it's something that's been buried for a while. And, and I think we need to resurrect it because it creates gaps within the sphere of marketing. And just now when you see my presentation, when I'm going to talk to you about as, uh, things that are very relevant, things like environment. We all want to save the world and plant a tree and um, with green products and how myopia has set in there. So it's, mm. it's very interesting. Lovely conversation today. So, so one thing that we, we're currently seeing quite a lot of is, I, I like to call it marketing, not marketing, because all we're doing is saying, Buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this. There's no value marketing. There's no, you know, ROI is building a community. You don't, it's like they say, you don't just jump out of a Ferrari and like drive into the venue and say, hey, I've got a Ferrari. You still have to, you know, engage with people. How do you, um, Prof. Monet, I'm going to start with you because. I think that there's a very big disconnect in understanding the consumer and understanding what their needs are, their worldviews, their mental models. Also, they doom scrolling quite a bit. Um, they're not in a place of wanting to engage with social media. And it's becoming almost like the hallmark that you see when you scroll through the content. I think people go through 90 meters of scrolling in a day. That's like a toilet roll. I like to call it social media abuse. I think people are tired. People are absolutely emotionally, mentally, physically, and I want to say spiritually tired mm. of social media. Uh, the bombardment 24-7, the, the constant connection that you have as an individual, there's almost a subliminal desire to want to engage with social media at any given time, whether you want to or not. It's like this invisible wave of luring that, mm. that hangs around you consistently. And that means people are becoming involved and part of social media engagement, not out of need, but out of habit. Mm. And that That's means so that the type of visualization they see doesn't necessarily have the impact yeah. that the, the brand or the product wants to achieve, you know, in terms of manifestation in the mind of the person receiving it. Then we must also keep in mind that you deal with different generations. I mean, your largest user base of social media is most probably your um, generation Y and your generation Z. And their interaction of, of social media is the use of the medium as a form of communication mm. because their people interaction is limited because of their usage of social media as a means of communication. So here you've got that generational cohort difference in the value add mm. of using social media as a form of communication or a recipient Mm. of messages being communicated to you. So so you've got a generational cohort difference. You've got a cultural difference. You also have a different genders expectation and gender need for the use of social media. There might be um, social activities that certain genders identify through social media platforms uh, or videos that they watch. And that also brings with it a, a type of segmentation that's important for marketers to note. Mm. We've seen in South Africa the absolute growth of a platform such as Instagram in terms of its reach of target markets, um, especially the younger group, because of the visualization that mm. it offers through videos and, and pictures. Whereas we've seen that the marketing reach 
of Facebook, for example, is an older generation, but more a social platform mm. rather than a media message communication to reach a potential target market for potential sales. Instagram has now moved into that realm much more aggressively and successfully. Yeah, and also Facebook has become like an obituary. Like, yeah. I mean, that's the only thing that you're currently seeing. And, and one of the, a very interesting thing, I went to go and look on Google Trends, right? And I saw how you can literally see from 2004 all the way down here how people go on. How do I close my Facebook account? How do I delete it? Sign in, log in. So it has actually decreased. But Instagram and TikTok has climbed significantly because people can build a better connection. I also just wanted to add to your point, trust in crisis. Trust is a massive issue in the marketing world. And to establish it, you need empathy, you need logic, and you need connection. And those three things are missing. And and having a myopic view and, and, and wanting a result now within sales to prove to the financial manager, the ROI, doesn't make sense to me. So I'm going to go over to Prof. Marius because, I mean, let's just let that sink in for a minute. You couldn't have said more truer words. Let's just break marketing down into its basic core, into its very, very basic. This is Marketing 101, the four Ps of marketing. The product, the price, the place, and the promotion. Now, over and above that, we, we talk about current buzzwords are things like relationship selling and solution selling, whereby you have to engage in the client and you have to add value and you have to get a, a very a bespoke type product or a very bespoke type relationship in order for the, to fill the client's relationship and to fulfill the client's needs. But... This is where the, the myopia comes in. Is that back at, at my office, back at my, with my CMO, back at my boss, he's not going to ask me how many relationships have you built this month. He's going to ask me, did you reach your sales target? What is your X value? What line item are you going to end? If you're not, if you're not performing according to this X output rand value, you're not going to get your monthly salary. You're not going to get your incentives. You're not going to get your bonus. Where's your commission on this? So what is happening with all those other issues in marketing? We are only price-driven. Mm. Yet, we tell people, we send them on these courses and all these fancy things and say, go and find out how to communicate with a client, um, especially in digital environment. Buzzwords at the moment, e-relationship. How do you build a relationship with a client over the, over the uh, uh, technology platforms and all of that? But you only measure it on your monetary value that you bring into the client at the end of the month. Mm. That is that is very that's a myopic viewpoint on this. Carmen, could I just add on to that as well? I just wanted to say that, uh, Prof. Wade, it's so true because um, in 2021, your biggest differentiator within a marketing sphere is not quality or price anymore. It's mm. experience. Mm. So if your marketing brand is still built around the old myopia thinking of silo of product differentiation and price you've got a big challenge waiting for you uh, over the next decade because the integrated nature of experience from the employees buy-in into the concept of wanting to make a difference to the customer actually experiencing the difference mm. and integrating that to a successful outcome of return and repurchase. If you haven't already positioned that mindset in your marketing strategy, you have a big problem. And also, just further to your point, um, Prof. Monet, one of the things that really just strike me now is all of these these amazing things that we're seeing on the walls, these mission statements when people haven't been you know, at the office for two years and now all returning to work, those values should have changed by now, post-pandemic world. And strategies and brands building is based on a very different world of two, two and a half years ago. Now we have a whole new way that we need to do that. And what I almost feel is currently happening is so now the pressure comes from the sales department. We need to sell, we need to sell, we need to sell. So now the pressure becomes a marketing problem. Where's the first place we go now is digital because you know we've seen during the pandemic, let's do the digital migration. So now everybody's like, 
post sales, post sales. And this is annoying our audiences and the, the expertise. And if there is a time that you need a digital expert, it is now. You can't wait until tomorrow. You can't have uh, digital jockeys coming into your into your office to, to do these things because they are creating damage, not just for the brand, but for the entire industry. And this is something that we need to take in mind. But then I want to really understand, um, Dr. Beata, we're seeing a lot of strategies going around the boardroom. And then, you know, we want to be collective and we want to include everybody and everybody has to say something and ha have input, which is, which is all fair and well. But Google has this rule, only one pizza in the room. Uh, that's enough to feed everybody that's in the meeting room decision makers. Too many decision makers, um, too many kitchens and the chef spoil the broth. Now what's happening is paralysis. People don't want to act on that strategy. Could that be a cause why marketing myopia is happening? Or is there something deeper behind it? Well, I mean, this is a, a you know, kind of a concept that needs to be unpacked um, a bit more. And I think what I'll try to do is just to kind of, you know, find a way to, to start. I think the first challenge that we see is that there's not a sense of long-term vision and there's not a sense of sustainability, in my opinion. The problem is that in a world as agile and fast-moving as we are in today, it really is difficult to have a five-year plan, to have a 10-year plan. You know? So you do have to, to, to plan your strategies in terms of sprints. I think the problem, however, is that if you don't at least have a goal of where you would like to be and that you manage your strategy, that it doesn't matter how bumpy the road is, at least every year you can see a somewhat of an upward trajectory towards mm. the goal, you know, you're going to be lost. So there needs to be a form of strategy coming in. That to me is firstly lacking that long-term vision and a goal. And then the goal itself needs to be filled with meaning and it needs to be filled with purpose and it obviously needs to be filled with what and where your mar and who your market is because at the end of the day your market is responsible for bringing in your income so what i think is the challenge is that a lot of myopia comes in i think if we look at and i mean i'm just generalizing here because we, uh, we you know I, I can't really generalize but i'm going to but if we look at a lot of the companies that have failed in the past They've been under a certain management for a couple of years. And you almost get the idea as if if you don't change the board and the management on a regular basis, you are going to be stuck in a certain form of thinking. So I think it firstly starts with having a diverse board. And because I'm a person that always likes to go to the operational of what can you do, I would say that you need consistency on a board. So you need two or three people that are there for five years. But then you can, for example, have two or three other people that are kind of there on a yearly or rotational basis to bring in the freshness and the fresh thinking. And then every five years you change to a new person. Because I'm asking myself, Mark Zuckerberg, for example, how many years has he owned Facebook? Okay, mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden, Facebook is at the t this tipping point where they realize, okay, we've kind of lost touch with the market. Okay, let's quickly see where is the world going. Okay, the metaverse. But it's almost like you, it's almost like I get this sense as if he's not the person to be doing it. It's almost like he's just too, he's been there too long. His thinking is too much in a, in a particular way. Mm. And that is what you see a lot of times. And how I want to bring this to a branding perspective is that I think the big danger with companies is that they build brands that are incredibly strong, okay, and that have a lot of equity, and they become arrogant. There's a sense of arrogance of we can't fail, we are. And if we look at the case study of Toys R Us in the United States, they did apparently open up, I'm speaking under correction, but apparently they did open up one or two stores now recently. But basically they, they closed the, the entire chain um, a, a couple of years back. And um, if we look at the Toys R Us debacle, they sat in a situation where there were signals early on of potential problems. But they sat for about from 2005 till 2014 before they actually implemented a turnaround strategy. And you need to ask yourself, what is that? Is that the, the management perspective? So that brand can be so strong that it brings a sense of arrogance. Okay. 
The other thing that I think is dangerous, why companies sometimes also lose touch with the market and sometimes when the brand is not that strong or it's, it's strong but they start losing customers is because they start to fixate on operational efficiency as opposed to the market. And the reason why I'm saying the operational efficiency is that Everything is about the cost cutting. It's about the bottom line that Professor Waite also mentioned earlier. It really is that focus on the financials. Yes, any good business should focus on good financial management. But it's like anything in life that is too over the top. If it's not balanced, it's not going to get you anywhere. If there's an over-obsession with finances, there's an over-obsession with operational efficiencies. And also if we look at the, the seminal literature by, by Michael Porter, on what differentiates an organization, I would say that you really need to look for synergy in an organization where all the parts work together to mm. complement one another as opposed to focusing only on operational efficiencies because the operational efficiencies is something which in any case can be copied. Mm. And it's almost like you get the sense that even with, and I'm going to conclude with this, but even with Google and Facebook, it's almost like they've become obsessed with the efficiencies of the algorithms the argument being it's to please the user. Mm. But to me, I almost get the sense that they're losing the user because they're so over-obsessed with this efficiency of algorithms. And if I just look, if I just think of, of scrolling on Facebook, for example, nothing irritates me more than when I've already seen a post, but then someone commented on it and then I see the <laughs> post again. Really, if you are so fantastic with your algorithm, stop showing me the post again. You know, yeah, but it's exactly. just it's they're losing the user somewhere. Yeah. And I'm convinced it's because they say too obsessed with the technical part and they're losing yeah. the user. But at the end of the day, you can't just focus customer as well. You have a business to run, you have bills to pay. Mm. You need to find a balance between the two. Mm. You need to do regular market research. You need diversity in your board. You need to rotate. But you have to be on top of it. And you need to have real conversations. I, I, mean, I mean, I would always promote qualitative research. Have genuine conversations with people. Mm. Um, don't just go on Facebook polls and, you know, what did people comment when I posted this? And, Ooh, I did market research. You know, do substantial stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's, in a nutshell, what I'm thinking. I just want to add to that because something very interesting is, is, is exactly to your point. We also need to understand that consumers consume a lot of information daily. Every 15 seconds, they are exposed to new bits of information, which changes the way that they think about it, about a product or service. I might be all for environmental products, but tomorrow it's out of my mind. And today I'm going not to going, well, mm. I'm not going to have a Beyond Meat burger. Mm. I'm going to have a Steers burger. I'm mm. just using an example because I do like Steers burgers. Yeah, short-term memory. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. No, Dom. not you, yeah, but consumers sorry. in general. <laughs> you have short term, you know, because there's so much to chase. There's so many distractions. Oh, my God. But you, you know what was interesting? One of the top searches on Google was how to start a business rather than finding a job in 2021. Hmm. Now, that insight alone globally shows us where is the focus? What does the future of your business look like culturally, but also the behavior? Because that means, and I, I mean, as an entrepreneur living it up in the city, I have to tell you, being an entrepreneur, you have to start with frugality. You have to go with the ways. You have to follow your customers. You need to understand what they want and morph your products and services around them rather than what you dreaming about and what you want to do. But Furthermore, is that something that I find very interesting as well is that apart from the sustainability of an organization um, in terms of culture, a lot of people have been searching in 2021 for a soul partner. Mm. People are lonely out there. Mm. Now, do we understand how we as brands or as organizations, yes, we need, we need to make money, but just think about household income, mm. people that have lost their jobs. How are brands supporting these communities and, and what people are searching for? Because ultimately, as you say, it's a form of qualitative research. Mm. And we need to have an understanding of what's top of mind and then have deeper conversations because sometimes that is maybe the mm. catalyst of change. Yeah, I think we need more depth and less numbers. Yes, 
We really do. And patience. And patience. Um, I mean, everyone is talking purpose lately. I mean, I was looking at trains and, you know, reading stuff on Buzz Community and the new buzzword is purpose. But uh, you, there needs to be substance to it if you're going to say there's purpose. Okay? What, live it. You know, live it. And at the end of the day, um, if you're going to be in, in, in it in the long game, it's going to take time. You're going to have to build a brand. I mean, if we look at a, at a sales strategy, for example, it's a curve that jumps up and down every month that you have a promotion and, and you're pushing sales. Okay, It jumps up and down on the graph. Whereas a brand is something which runs from year one to year three in a very slow upward trajectory. But it gets there. And once you are there, you can actually you know, um, uh, reap the benefits of the fact that you now have equity and you can charge more margin. But companies don't have that long-term vision to do it. And the only way to also build that equity is to understand the customer and to touch base with them regularly so that you can truly touch needs, hearts and souls and be of true value, you know, to, to actually get to that. And um, I just think from an operational perspective, if you want to be in the long game, you need to be able to budget cash flow wise to mm -hmm. have the income while the brand is growing. You yeah, can't amen. just leverage the whole time and run on the sales. And this goes back to sustainability. And I think that, I mean, I, I think even consumers suffer from myopia where they also don't think of how to save that buck. Do I really need to have this thing that you're advertising to me? Is it, does it really need to be in my basket? And are we also forcing people to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't know? Mm -hmm. um, so that we also need to think of because it's a very, very valid point. Marius, I just want to understand from you, what is your view in terms of sustainability, especially, you know, in terms of, of marketing? I've got two issues I want to, want to, to talk to you about. Um, sustainability <laughs> in marketing. The first one comes about loyalty cards. And this is fresh off the news. I've actually just done a research on loyalty cards. And the second thing is about um, green products. And as I said in my intro, everybody wants to save the planet. They want to plant a tree and um, blah, 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 all of those nice things. But research on green marketing is actually quite paradoxical. So in a study, they found that customers are generally got a positive attitude towards the environment. Like I said, we all want to plant a tree. We all want to breathe in fresh air, all of those nice things. In another study... They found that the clients the, or the consumers have a positive relationship to green marketing or products that are tied in green, greenness and all of that. However, if you put those two constructs in the same study, you find that there's no relationship. It's very, very interesting because people say they want to live in a better planet, but they are not going to buy the greenness or the green products when times are hard or when they can't find the product. Yet, these people, or say these people, they say in marketing, you must never say they or these people. So, so No pronouns, the, please. No, yeah. <laughs> these, the, the retailers or the manufacturers go out and they advertise the greenness of their product, yet they've totally disregarded the client's needs and expectations. So that's why there are some authors that say that, that green products or the greenness of products are, is, is a failing concept. Mm. Because we're not looking, we are advertising, like I said, the greenness of the product, but our myopic vision has lost total disregard of the client. Mm. Chasing the, the shiny new object, basically. Chasing the shiny new object. It's, yeah. it's the, 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 the manufacturer said. Mm. Let's make this product and people will buy. Yeah. Yeah. Not considering the price sensitivity the price of your is, market. You it's see. crazy. Mm. So now you guys have touched on another point and, and, and loyalty cards bring all of this together for me. Um, Carmen, you spoke of relationships. Beata spoke about community, a service and a sense of community and how to get to know your customers. Do you know that loyalty cards is a total misnomer? Mm. Total misnomer. Wow. Because all the retailers... Have, and I'm talking retail, I'm talking grocery loyalty cards. They push these loyalty cards out. In my research that I've just done now, not a single person in this qualitative research could tell me what their benefits are, why they belong to this grocery loyalty card. Yeah. There's no sense of community. Now, 
the manufacturer goes out and he says, or the retailer goes out and he says, take this loyalty card, you'll get some benefits. Those benefits are, they're not even with the paper they're written on. <laughs> Yet, with the retailers, and some of these retailers are already targeting the low-income p- p- uh, people. They are already on, 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 on low-cost groceries. Mm. Now, you are targeting those people and you say, buy this and you get another five, another five cents off. It's not, the concept is totally wrong. Yeah. So, however, these clients, so what, what I found in my study is that these, call them low-ranking loyalty cards, got no place. They got no place. They don't do anything. Really nothing. However, if you go to the prestigious loyalty cards, I'm talking like the maybe the e-bucks or the purple discoveries or the frequent flyer miles, those things tend, tend to create a sense of community. Mm. But but the whole thing is lost again. So to, to me, this loyalty cards, that's that's a very myopic vision because it is not doing what it's supposed to be doing. Mm. And you can't buy loyalty, mm-hmm. right? You can't buy loyalty. You gotta deliver no. and do what you say, like to be artist point, purpose, right? Purpose. If you wanna say that. So Mordnay, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, I I, I wanna add on to Marius and Beata because I'm I'm actually summarizing it quite nicely as well. Business today sadly remains economics focused. That's that's the outcome they want to make money. And there needs to be a transformation towards a psychoanalytical approach, inclusive towards the thinking about economic outcomes. And and it mm-hmm. sounds very academic and very high learned, but what I mean by it is businesses need to have a three hundred and sixty degree change in their mindset. Otherwise, the myopia is simply just going to be repetitively around, you know, for the next decade. I foresee thinking in marketing to change with the inclusion of a threefold approach, Mm. where you've got your economic reality, where you look at things such as market share and growth potential, which, as Beata said, needs to be there because it's a business they need to survive. Mm. But this is currently the predominant primary focus. And that's why the lack of uh, branding and trust and understanding consumer needs and the disregard of the consumer as the center point Mm. of marketing strategy is happening. And that's where the other two comes in and needs to come in more aggressively. For example, if you look at outward, there needs to be a stronger focus on customer needs analysis. And also in line with customer needs analysis, you need to have an understanding of what your competitors are doing to address that need analysis more successfully than what you are doing. Mm. But the most important that needs to be added on top of that is the inward focus. And what we tend to neglect is we tend to neglect how employee needs in the organization is part and parcel of this trust creation, of this brand building, mm. of this, this changing of a product glamour sale into an experiential, feeling acknowledged, having a warmth, empathy experience when you engage with the brand and if your employees are not buying into that concept the whole organizational customer experience will not be built around empathy trust understanding and respect i mean come and think for yourself how can you have respect for your partner or for a colleague if you don't even have respect for yourself mm. exactly yeah. And, and when you put it in that, in that perspective, you go, the brand must love itself and its culture first and the DNA um, before it can love its customers. And um, maybe that is a value system that also needs to, to be addressed in the myopic um, environment um, because that's one of the dangers. And I just want to add to that based on that Google search that I was referring to. So many people are side hustling. We did a a research study. 80% of people are side hustling. Mm. And it can be considered as moonlighting. But what can people do? You've cut my salary by 40%. 50% of our our people in South Africa um, are unemployed and on fixed-term contracts um, because the, the organization never took care of its culture and its people. Yeah. 
It only took care of the shareholders, basically. Mm. That is hitting the nail on the head because organizational culture is driven by shareholder value. Mm. And, and when we are neglecting individual employee background and individual customer background, when we are neglecting generational cohort influence in driving, adapting and transforming your corporate culture as an employee and a customer, when you are looking at the personal circumstances of individual customers, like you rightfully said, I mean, an individual could be a supportive customer um, six months ago. There could have been a retrenchment or there could have been a cut in salary. And that transformation now results in a lack of support for the business. Why is that the case? Is it really the brand or is it an economic reality? Mm. How can we adapt? That's where Maurice's uh, challenge around loyalty cards come in. Don't think the loyalty card is going to keep that person loyal. There's other circumstances that you now need to understand and provide to bring that loyalty back yeah. uh, and research around that is required. And and then um, I want to conclude uh, uh, on the corporate culture to, to say that uh, uh, customer expectations is built around the psychoanalysis that needs to be done. Uh, uh, Beata's qualitative uh, a value add argument comes in. No longer is it just important to note that 80% of people buy our brand because there's a loyalty option or because it's convenient, because it's close by. Maybe there are deeper things. Maybe there's an emotional attachment because your brand is providing some form of social, economic benefit to the community they live in. Maybe as a specific customer grouping, it could be a transgender grouping, it could be a specific gender-based grouping, it could be a mother uh, having a um, specific uh, family setup, and, and the brand is associating through campaigns and educational programs and financial benefits to groups like that, and you feel affinity. Mm. And identification with that brand and that's why you support it. These are things that needs to be brought into the debate of how organizational culture drives organizational strategy and not RAND and profits and shareholder value as the departure point. Yeah, love it. I think a few things um, came to mind as uh, Professor Monet was um, discussing this. And I think on the one end, um, you know, there's uh, the def- there's definitely this need that stands out in terms of you have to obtain growth in a business. That is important. But I would advocate, you know, in the long term, the, the myopia comes in with the fact that we misunderstand the market and we're arrogant and then we're not relevant anymore. So the bottom line is that I want to advocate again for balance you need to manage the cash flow. You need to manage the books, etc. But you also need to understand the customer. I want to again reiterate, stop looking at the numbers. Go for the depth rather do qualitative research. I do think that maybe, you know, some of the older literature that we've known for years um, has just become, become concepts. But maybe it's time to implement stuff again like Kaplan and Norton's balance scorecard, you know, to actually measure more than just the financial aspects. So perhaps that's something to look at um, again. I think that at the end of the day, also from a strategic perspective, regardless of what strategy your business follows, whether you are highly differentiated, uh, where you, whether you are incredibly low cost, I think at the end of the day, every business will benefit from a form of synergy in terms of what it does. So in other words, to to give an example, because I have a very savvy HR person um, with good experience and qualifications, they recruit the correct people. Because I've recruited the correct people, I can train them adequately and they are susceptible and, and, and you, can, you can work with them. Because they are doing a good job and, and they are, are fulfilled, they are delivering a good customer service. Because the customer service is good, the customer is buying more from you. Mm. Because the product quality is good, because you've got good supply relationships, so you are sourcing from good supplies, which means quality input, which means quality product. But the problem is that there's not balance. Mm. There needs to be balance and synergy, and there needs to be a drive for true value. And true value, you are only going to understand for your customer if you do the correct type of research. 
That's so interesting because also, you know, what you typically just explain there in the chain of the ecosystem mm. is also something that we also should take into consideration is the, the customer experience abyss. Mm. The disconnect that every single business have, um, they just can't see the bigger the business becomes, the bigger the abyss. Yeah. Um, and that connection to bring everything together because ultimately it's not a glamour product. It's You want to be of service. You want to remove friction. You want to be the brand that they think about when they are in a specific situation. Mm. You need to understand the various types of things that you need to do, protect them, you know, from a data perspective, those things that that impacts the trust crisis. There's so many other elements mm. that also plays a role that brands are not taking into consideration. But my question could be, is the four P's of marketing maybe sitting in too many departments? Mm. Because the price gets managed by the financial manager and maybe the product by um, the manufacturers and maybe the marketer doesn't have control over everything in order to be of service mm. to that market. I don't think the marketer needs to necessarily be in control of it because, you know, as a marketer, if you look at how complicated some pricing can be, you actually need people that are, you know, if we take something like uh, financial products, you need actuaries and stuff to mm. put these things together. And that's not necessarily something a, a marketer will naturally be inclined to. I think the challenge is that a marketer is a very distinct talent profile and it needs to be a person that can wear many, many hats mm -hmm. uh, and it needs to be a person that is very good at coordinating everything so that it is cohesive to produce a collective view that mm. goes out at the end of the day there's no there's no um, issue in terms of having specialization pockets but the marketer needs to be an in incredibly good coordinator and be able to take everything to bring it together to you know to take it out that is that is what i um, would say but sorry this is a little bit uh, from the one point to the other but as you were talking i was thinking of something in that <laughs> so i was thinking of the fact that they're saying that there's no such thing as um, a continued uh, growth necessarily or the, the idea that you're always going to necessarily grow. So what I'm trying to say is that big businesses, you know, make certain assumptions like, oh, the population is going to grow and for that reason we'll continue to grow, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm actually thinking if I was a company of a, of a, you know, a big brand and I had to listen to this podcast, I would wonder what can I do to make sure that I don't fall into myopia? And you know what I was actually thinking, which is quite clever, is a brand like Discovery, for example, is in one of those points where it's very big, it's very saturated. So what else, you know, it could, it could easily do something where it goes into myopia and it starts losing clients. Mm. And I was thinking that from a strategic perspective, if I was in the boardroom, I think one of the best things they could have done was to diversify the business <laughs> because now they're in the banking sector <laughs> and now they can grow that again until they reach the point where, you know, they could potentially go into myopia. <laughs> it's the Colgate syndrome. Yes. Do you know about the Colgate syndrome? It was actually in Simon Sinek, um, one of the books um, that uh, start with why. Yeah. And he mentions apparently with Colgate. So what they, they did was they, every time when they reached the peak and the S curve, yeah. when they started seeing that the sales were going going down they created a new product and found a new a new toothpaste for people to use with yeah. granular and what they had all these various types of um, colgates they eventually ended up with 27 products yeah that people was paralyzed by choice because now they're standing in front of the, of of colgate and there's yeah. now actually 32 because they've introduced the children's one ones as well look at the counter and go I don't know which one to do. So then they found out that the people don't know what to decide. So they created a tool that you can actually do a quiz to see which toothpaste is best for you. Now, seriously, this mm -mm. is a three-second decision for me. I yeah. don't have time for this. So what do I do? I grab Aquafresh. Yes. So this is the, the problem is, is that when you have a problem, address it. Go and look for where, where, yeah. where the problem is. 
before creating or diversifying because I think that also creates yeah. such a massive challenge. No, it does. Absolutely. I was just thinking, you know, if I was a cunning corporate trying to make my next buck, <laughs> you know, that is what I would do. I would totally diversify. But Carmen, what I find interesting is what you're referring to is what we call in the um, strategy literature, um, if, you, if you're looking to grow a business, it's a very old principle. It's called the, the unsolved matrix and it comes from the 1950s. And what you can do is you can do market penetration, you can do market development, product development, or you can do diversification. And what you're referring to with the Colgate effect is, mo- is uh, product development because what they kept on doing is they just developed new products for the same market, okay? So they basically got them to, to buy the same stuff. But the bottom line is that it's a quick fix. It's not a sustainable mm-hmm. fix yeah. because what happens, you're sitting with 26 toothpaste, uh, eventually the market goes, oh man, they're all the same, whatever, in a year or two's time. And then you just have to can a bunch of lines because you, you basically just went on a, on a quick fix tangent. You can't be reactive. That's why I was saying in the beginning, have a long-term vision and a goal. And yes, the road is shaky because we're in a fast-paced world. But at least as you are on this bumpy road, just make sure that every year you are slightly in an upward trajectory towards getting there. Exactly. (laughs) But I mean, this is to Prof. Marius, when you were saying in the beginning, everything is about price. It is because price is proxy. So it becomes the ultimate decision maker. Mm. It is. And like I'm saying, it is um, if you you, sometimes and I do get what Beata is saying that um, we we, we have to do growth profit margins and blah, 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 all of those things. And uh, the world is measured in CPI and the world measured in inflation rates. So, so, So we get our cues from our environment. But we sometimes on this economic drive, we are so focused on the monetary contribution that we forget the customer's needs. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what I'm saying. Perhaps we need to get back to some old rusted mm. literature like the good old balance scorecard. Like we're discussing today. We are yeah. discussing Theodore Levitt's uh, founding, founding theory. Yes. And I mean, this is what brought this conversation about mm. and actually realizing that it's so much more than just myopia. I mean, what what there was so many guys mentioned. There's quite a lot of myopias that you came across, right? Mm. Um, so this is something that that I think mm. we could go on forever. I think that we should have a webinar series. Mm, I think that. Are be you keen? Yeah, we can do. Should that. we do it yes. on on, on marketing myopia? Yeah. Marketing myopia. Let's do I, it. I, I think, think it's going to be amazing. Yeah, I think, I think we, we should we pull it off. Okay, closing thoughts. What dangers can marketers avoid not to get in the myopia trap uh, learn okay marketers know they need to serve the customer but learn the skills to stand your ground to the board to wow. explain how this has sustainable impact and i think a last thing is that when we talk meaning and purpose we need to have a culture of meaning and purpose within the organization as well because that ultimately brings that meaning and purpose into our research and our product development. So we need to have a, a and this is where an HR component comes in, which is why I said synergy is such an important strategy because everything needs to complement each other. <laughs> but this is where, where um, the HR aspect comes in. So a person needs to have a mindset of not just, oh, I'm doing this because it's my job and I've ticked the box, mm-hmm. but what is the implication of what I have just done? Was this correct? what did this do to understand impact of what you do mm. so that's just in summary what I think <laughs> Carmen I think uh, put employees first start with where your brand is represented the best and that's through engagement from internal to external secondly put the customer before the product put the customer before the product as Beata said Focus on qualitative. Do a psychoanalysis, go into the mind of the consumer more aggressively and see whether your brand, your pricing, your location, your product, your diversity, uh, the, the engagement they get online, offline is actually what they want. And then finally, don't stop marketing. Just do it a little bit more smarter. Mm -hmm. As I said earlier on, you've got a three-pronged approach. You need to look at your economic side. You need to look at your internal side, your employees, and you need to look at your external side, which are your customers. And if you integrate that on a balanced approach, as Beata said, the balanced scorecard, you will be much more successful in addressing your marketing myopia. Mm. In the long term. Yeah, in the Mm. long term. 
Carmen, my conclusion is I feel very sorry for the current CMO. I feel very sorry for the future CMO. Uh, I think we've just come out of or we, we're in the 4IR and digitizing is taking over the world and we have to get new skills and how to market to a new digital savvy consumer. So over and above all of those new skills that has to be acquired, then you get the, the myopic view and all of those. It, it, it seems like they are just the list gets longer of what you, you mm. have to be aware of. Mm. And I was in a conversation the other day and somebody said, um, how will you be a good manager? And the answer is actually quite simple. You can't be a good manager if you separate yourself from your clients or you separate yourself from your team. You have to be in amongst them in order to get their feel, to know what they say. So it ties in, and I think it ties with what Monet and Biata has all said and the research and the three-pronged approach and all of that. I don't think it's a one thing. I think it's many things that's going to come in here. And to me, the CMO, it, 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 today's skills is not needed tomorrow, is not needed the day after, today after that. There's a continuous improvement. There's a, there's, a, there's a new needs analysis that needs to be done. For me, it is don't separate yourself from your consumers. Be aware. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree with it. I actually wanted to take a picture, but I put my phone off. But mm. Monet is the only one. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that put his glasses on today. <laughs> oh. Yeah, myopic Marius. Yeah. Myopic Marius. Yeah, myopic <laughs> Marius. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> no, but the, the thing that I would just say is put your put your sunglasses on, and it's a brighter future. And look at the future. Pay attention to the present. Yeah. Um, what's happening around you now and look at a moment away from that in order for you to know where the future is going and be a little bit more intuitive. I do think that we, we, we've become so robotic. Like mm. be intuitive, be in flow, cr be creative, try new things, experiment, even if it sounds crazy. But sometimes those are the things that makes a difference. I know, and I know academics is very important. I've gone, gone through this whole process. Mm -hmm. I know um, it has its merit. But at the same time, is I do think in a complex world, we also need to find a way of not becoming generalist, but having fun with all the tools available to us. If we just understand how we can, as Beata said earlier on, how we can coordinate everything that we can see further. And um, yeah, that's what I want to say. Closing off is go out there, have a better vision. And if you want to reach out to any of these guys, check out the link below or you can contact me. Um, but guys, thank you so much for listening in. This was a great conversation and we are going to come back and we're going to give this conversation more depth because it's time. All right. Arrivederci. Ciao. Ciao. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Carmen Murray Show. Another solid gold podcast. Please take a moment to rate and share this episode with friends and colleagues who love customer experience and marketing just as much as you do. To connect with Carmen, visit CarmenMurray.com, where you will find links to her business services, future fit events, and biz community articles. Carmen Murray is CEO of Uya Modern Marketing Services that empower businesses to deliver premium customer experiences, B2B, B2C, and B2B2C across all industries. Some of these services include research, CX strategy, persona development and customer journey mapping, CX audits, UX audits, and the connected marketer training in connected customer experiences, mobile, data management, and AI. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.